All right, our scripture reading tonight is Genesis chapter 13, verses 1 to 18. This is what we're going to talk about in our lesson. Uh, We're continuing to follow the life of Abraham. We're going to look at him throughout the summer. Uh, This is, again, Abraham in a tight spot. He's in another crisis tonight, and we're going to talk about how he learns to walk by faith through it. Uh, After the reading, our kids and our students are dismissed for their classes. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him, into the Negev. Now Abraham was very rich in livestock, and in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and I, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen, we're brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right, and if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley, and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. The word of the Lord, amen. Kids, y'all are dismissed. To my right hand, your left hand. Students to the back. And we'll talk about our friend Abram in just a second. All right. So, if you'll remember, it's been a couple of weeks since we talked about our friend Abraham, but the last time we were together, uh, Abraham had a crisis that he faced. Do you remember what it was? Famine, right? Famine came to the, the land that God had promised him, and all of a sudden, famine, boom, which, which didn't probably seem to make sense to Abraham. But he strikes out for Egypt to find food, and there he encounters another problem. Uh, the Egyptian culture was broken, and so he knew that they were going to try to steal his wife, so he comes up with a scheme. And the long story short was Abraham learns that human scheming can never, ever equal the same result as the gift of God and, and the blessing of God. Never can never be the same. 
Well, let's see if Abraham learned his lesson. Because as soon as he leaves Egypt, he goes back to the promised land, and then this story happens. Another crisis. Um, If you've never read Genesis before, or maybe it's been a long time, you'll notice that the patriarchs, we call them, the fathers of the faith, they had crisis after crisis after crisis after crisis. It was never easy, at least the parts that are told in the Bible aren't the easy bits. It's all the hard stuff. Well, does Abraham respond any better to this crisis than he did to the one in Egypt? I think he does. I actually think here tonight we get an example positively of what it looks like to learn to walk by faith. Okay, Abraham has learned a key lesson in walking by faith, and it's a lesson I want to share with you tonight. And It's, it's basically this. I'm going to give you the lesson, and then we'll talk about it in some bite-sized chunks. Here's the lesson. Walking by faith means self-denial toward God and toward man. Walking by faith means self-denial toward God and toward man. Now you say, what in the world is that? What is self-denial? Well, we're going to talk about it. Abraham demonstrates it. It was something he did not know how to do when he was in Egypt. Now he's learned how to do it. Because he's walking with God. And so let's look. If you look at your bulletin, there are three stages to the story. Uh, first of all, there's the threat of strife that comes. Uh, secondly, there is the self-denial of faith that Abraham demonstrates. And then lastly, there's the communion of true worship that Abraham has with God. Okay, So the threat of strife, the self-denial of faith, and the communion of true worship. Let's look together. First of all... The threat of strife. Uh, in verses 1 to 7, the problem emerges. And one, this is, I told you several weeks ago, when Abraham decided to bring Lot, he decided to have a whole heap of trouble. But he did it because he loved God and he wanted his nephew to also be in on God's blessing. He was being very generous because God had been generous with him. But Lot is always going to be a thorn in Abraham's side, one way or the other. Uh, What specifically does Lot do here that causes trouble? What do you see? Strife between the two herders, okay? Strife between the two herders. Now, Abraham, it says, went up from Egypt, uh, verse 1, and then verse 2. He was very rich when he went up. He was rich in all the ways that people back then were rich. It tells you he was rich in livestock. He was rich in silver and he was rich in gold, which are all basically three main markers of wealth during this day. This is about 4,000 years ago, by the way, when Abraham lived, 4,000 years, 2,000 years before Jesus. Livestock, silver, and gold, that was the currency of the day. Now remember, how did Abraham get all that stuff? How did he become very rich? Yeah, Pharaoh paid him off, right, because he stole his wife. Uh, Abraham's scheme backfired, and and Pharaoh did, in fact, take Sarah. And because he thought Abraham was Sarah's brother, um, he gave him a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, Basically, Abraham got on Pharaoh's gravy train and started raking in all all these goods. Uh, But we learned, you know, that being rich doesn't always mean being blessed, which is a very hard lesson to learn, isn't it? We, We think it is. We think riches equals blessing every single time. But the reality is, riches, if they don't have the presence of God with them, are not really a blessing at all. They actually end up backfiring and biting you. 
Uh, and this is what happens. Abraham is rich with all of Pharaoh's stuff. Lot has also been enriched, we would imagine, also with Pharaoh's stuff. So much so that the land of Canaan at this point is not able to support them both in close proximity. Uh, now, there's good reason for this. Uh, Moses, who's writing this, points out in verse 7 that at this time the Canaanites and the Perizzites were still dwelling in the land. So that meant uh, the land was already full of, nat- of native inhabitants. And so maybe the area that Abraham and Lot had available to them was probably very small anyway and was probably not the best pieces of land. Those were taken by the natives. And so Abraham had all this sort of leftover land to work with. There was simply not enough to support him and Lot. They were going to have to separate between the two. Not only that, there is strife, as Drew pointed out a minute ago. Strife. Two words are used for strife. Uh, You can see them, uh, first of all, in verse 8, where Abraham says, Let there be no strife. But then you see it in verse 7, And there was strife. Those are actually two different words in Hebrew. And the reason I point it out is because these two words come up in the Bible again in a very important place. Uh, The first word is the word rib. Not the English word rib, but the Hebrew word rib, which means a disagreement, a sharp disagreement. The second word is meribah, which means quarrel. Now, both of these words come up at a very important point in Israel's history after Moses. So let's think for a minute. Moses is writing this to the Israelites about Abraham 500 years before. The Israelites had a moment in the desert where they had a rib and a meribah with God. Same two words used. Whenever they went into the desert and they had no water, they got mad at God. And it used those same two words. They had a rib with God and a meribah with God and with Moses. And Moses, you remember, what does he do? When they're begging for water, hits the rock, which he wasn't supposed to do. And, you know, all, everything, all this bad stuff happens because of the meribah uh, and because of the rib. Uh, later on in um, uh, Psalm 95, it says, Do not be like your fathers as it was on the days of the meribah, on the day of the strife that they had between God and the people and the people and Moses. In other words, this is referring to grumbling, complaining, whining, not being happy with what God has given you. That's what this is about. Go ahead, Ben. Yep. Yes. Meribah. Yeah. Yep, exactly. You tested me at the waters of Meribah, it says. You tested the Lord at the waters of Meribah. So the reason I'm saying that is not just because it's, well, it's an interesting Hebrew thing. No, the reason I'm saying that is because there is something significant about strife, which is the opposite of the life of faith. Okay? Strife, according to the Bible, is the polar opposite of walking by faith. Now think about it. Why, why is that? Why is strife and faith, why are they so opposite? Because when you describe, that has to do with seeing versus having faith. That's right. Seeing versus believing, right? 
Usually we strive, why? Whether it's with God, with ourselves, or with others, why do we strive? We want our way. Usually we strive because we want our way and we don't see it. We're not getting it. We don't see how it's going to happen, and so we strive. We fight. We bust heads. We beat heads against each other. Rib and Meribah over and over again. When someone has faith, though, what happens to that? What happens to what I want and what I see when I have faith in God? It matters a whole lot less, doesn't it? Matters a whole lot less. Uh, first of all, faith in God means I believe there is a God, and I believe that God knows more than I do, and I believe that God created all things and controls all things and has given me all things that I have, and what he wants me to have, I will have. Right? That, so there's a huge thing right there that comes in and takes my will and kind of displaces it a little bit and gets it out of the center. And then when it comes to the issue of sight, even if I don't see things as being the way I want them doesn't mean they're not working out for good according to what God wants. Because I recognize that my ability to plan my life is light years behind God's ability to plan my life, which he did way before I was ever born, and he did not consult me. Right? There's a reason why he didn't consult me, because he didn't need me to, to, to give any input into that. <laughs> right? And so faith in God has this tendency to put a, put a hush on Meribah and Rib. Turn to Psalm 95, and I'll show you. Keep your finger in, in Genesis 13, though. Don't lose it. Let's start in verse 6. Somebody read it for us, starting in verse 6. Did you hear that? Oh, come, let us worship him, bow down, right? Who is God? It's faith, remembering who God is. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. He made us. We didn't make ourselves. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't uh, live by what your eyes see when God is telling you otherwise. Faith chooses what God says over what you see. And what that does is it puts a stop to the hardness of heart, which leads to the Meribah, which leads to the rib, which leads to the strife and the endless lack of rest that swirls around in every human heart by nature. It puts a rest to it, right? Without faith, without the perspective of faith in God, there is no rest for that. It's just an endless churning of what I want and what I'm not getting and what I want now and what I'm not getting. and nah, nah, nah. I, I can never, Augustine said, my heart is restless until it finds rest in you, O God. Why? Because you made us for yourself. Eight, 
Abraham is, is learning a lesson that Moses later, as he's writing this, wants Israel to learn. Because Abraham looks at this rib and this meribah that's going on between his people and Lot's people, and instead of responding by the sight of his eyes, he does something incredible. He responds with faith. A self, an act of self-denial that no one would ever be able to do if they were simply living by what I want, what I need, and my timing as I want it to look. In fact, I, I want to give you this challenge. I think this is a great um, lesson from this. We ought to always keep a close watch over our heart when we find strife in our hearts. Always. Uh, that, that is whether we feel it within, like I'm at strife with myself. Pay attention to that. Don't ignore that. When I feel strife against God, pay attention. When I'm feeling strife with other people, Pay attention. Why? Because there, there are questions you need to ask. There are deep questions you need to ask before the Lord there. Lord, what is it that I'm not, what is it I'm not getting by faith? How am I trying to walk in the sight of my eyes? How is me first driving me here? You see? Uh, this is precisely what Abraham had done when he went down into Egypt. I mean, he saw a situation that did not look the way he wanted it to look, and so he said, all right, Sarah, I'm throwing you under the bus instead of me. He didn't do very good. He walked by the side of his eyes. He saw strife and he dodged it like a coward. But here he sees strife and because he's now been, obviously he's been guarding his heart. He's been listening to God as Psalm 95 says so that he didn't rebel or harden his heart like on the day at Meribah and instead he yields his life up to God. He yields his life up for the sake of his nephew Lot. Uh, listen to these scriptures. Uh, these are both from the book of Hebrews. First, take care lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's Hebrews 4. Take care lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. And then Hebrews 12, make sure that no root of bitterness springs up in you and causes trouble. Both of those verses are about this. Human strife is not an accident. It doesn't just come out of nowhere. It's not, you can't just psychologize it away. It is a sin issue. It's a heart issue uh, that must be dealt with, not just physically, but spiritually. Yes, you need to sit down with people and work things out relationally, of course, but you can't avoid working things out spiritually with God because where there is strife, there is hardness of heart, bitterness of heart, just like where there's smoke, there's fire. All right, that's the first thing, the threat of strife. Once again, Abraham and his whole family are in jeopardy here because strife may actually kill what God is doing. But, point two, Abraham steps forward with an act of faithful self-denial. It's amazing what Abraham does in verses 8 through 13. Abraham said to Lot, let there be no strife between us because we're brothers. What's Abraham doing there? Let there be no strife. We're brothers. We're kinsmen. Yep. Denying himself. Making peace. He's saying, hey, I don't want to fight you. I don't want my people fighting your people. 
Let there be peace between us. We see next that for Abraham, this is not just a matter of empty words. Abraham does something that is extraordinary. Uh, Look at what he does. Um, Is not the whole land before you, Lot? Verse 9, separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, I'll go right. If you take the right hand, I'll go left. Wow. What did Abraham just do there? He gives Lot his choice. In the land that God had promised who? Did he promise it to Lot? Or did he promise it to Abraham? And yet here's the guy who just, I don't know, maybe months ago, a year ago, had said to Pharaoh, oh, she's my sister. You know, t- you know. <laughs> He's too scared to admit who his wife is. He's now learned to grow in faith so much that he says, you know what? God promised me this land. It's coming to me and my descendants no matter what. Lot, for peace, get whatever. It's all before you. You take what your pick, whatever part of the land you want, and I'll take the other. Knowing that Lot was probably going to pick the best-looking piece, which he did, and gave to old Uncle Abraham the terrible piece up in the mountains up there you can't do anything with, right? And that's where Abraham goes, up into the mountain, up into the hills. Wow. Self-denial. Self-denial. Uh Abraham lays down his, his self, he lays down his will, he lays down his expectations, he even lays down his claim on the promise of God for a second, so as, to elite, so as to give an opportunity for peace to be made between him and his kinsmen. That's what walking by faith requires, every time. Um, you've got to learn how to deny yourself before God and before people to walk by faith. Uh, Jesus said, if you will not take up your cross every day and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Also, Jesus, whoever does not renounce everything he has, even his own life also, cannot be my disciple. And here's Abraham, 2,000 years before Jesus, already getting that lesson. That's amazing. This is why Jesus, I think, later said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. I love reading the Old Testament and knowing that these men and women knew Jesus. They didn't know him by name, like we do. They didn't know all the details, but they knew Jesus. They knew the Messiah. They knew who he was going to be. They knew what he was going to do. And you can tell because of how they lived. Because who in the world chooses the path of self-denial over (laughs) self-promotion? When he didn't have to. Okay, it wasn't like Abraham was the nephew and Lot was the uncle. It's the other way around. Abraham's the uncle, Lot's the nephew. You don't have to give your nephew the choice land, especially not in this time and culture. It's like, Lot, you go take the old hills, you know, the the dusty old hills. I'm heading down to the valley full of grass and fertile farming land because it's my right to do so because I'm over you. Abraham doesn't do that. Abraham, in fact, does what only Jesus can enable a person to do because it was what Jesus did ultimately. What, how did he do this? How did he deny himself? I mean, every single thing. I mean, you can say like everything he did. First of all, in becoming a human being, denial of the glory and the, that he had, uh, at least the visible glory. 
He came and looked like a servant and acted like a servant. And being put on trial and being put to death, he gave his life up for the sake of other people. He described it this way, I'm like a grain of wheat. Unless I fall to the ground and die, I just remain one grain of wheat. But when I fall to the ground and die, many shoots of wheat are going to come up. Who thinks that way? By nature. This is why I say that the greatest test of walking by faith is your ability to deny yourself. Because the only way you'll ever deny yourself is if you're walking by something besides sight. Case in point, Lot. Look what Lot does. Verse 10. Lot's an example of a guy who's not walking by faith at this point. He's going to change a little bit, too, through time. But right now, he's still very much in the realm of sight and kind of getting what looks good. Uh, what does he do? He lifts up his eyes. He even tells you, he lifts up his eyes and sees. Emphasis on the sight. Um, you know, Moses doesn't have to say both, right? To lift up your eyes, it's obvious that he sees when he lifts up his eyes. But it says he lifts up his eyes and sees, just to kind of underline the fact that this man is all about what he sees. And what does he see? The Jordan River Valley. Beautiful, green, date trees, pomegranate trees, river flowing through it, Dead Sea, which at this time apparently wasn't quite as dead as it is today. Because Moses notes this is before Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. And so these places are beautiful at this time. And Lot sees it and says, bingo, exactly what I want. Sucker, I'm taking this land, you know, and he goes and does it. Now, that's the normal way of doing business, isn't it? That's the normal human way of living. Sight. Self-promotion. Self-protection. Self-rule. Very different than what Abraham does. Now, think about this with me for a minute. Why do you think Abraham has learned, or how do you think he's learned to do this at this point in his life? Failure. Is that what you said, Jan? Yeah, absolutely right. Failure. Meaning he tried it, he tried it the sight way. At this point, a few different times, you know, he's tried sight. Where did that get him? Not very good. It's at least not good in terms of God's point. Remember, Abraham, way back in chapter 12, Abraham became, you know, became a God worshiper, a God fearer. I mean, I think he was converted, you know, if you want, we want to use today's terms. Abraham became a Christian and got saved in, in Genesis 12. Um, I think that's very clear. However, um, Abraham doesn't instantly become a mature believer. Uh, but the one thing about Abraham is he's a real believer, right? And so you can be an immature believer and yet be a real believer. And here's how you know. You, you're immature, so you don't know how to walk by faith. But at the end of the day, you want one thing. What God has said you need to have. That's what you want. You actually want it. When you're a real believer, that's what you want. 
Um, now, you may have other wants in there that are warring with that want. The Bible talks about that too. But the predominant want of your life is Godward now. And that's very true of Abraham. And so when Abraham, for example, got very rich because he tricked Pharaoh and Pharaoh gave him all these things, most people who didn't have faith and didn't want God would say, Whew, I made out like a bandit. Peace out, Sarah. I've got all this, this riches. I'm, I, I'm leaving, right? Most people, right? Is it not? Uh, especially during these times, I don't think that would have been outside their own possibility at all. Why would Abraham want to rock the boat and go get his wife back from Pharaoh? Why would he? If he's only thinking about himself? And yet, right? And yet, Abraham knows, even when he gets the riches, it's like we can tell, he, he knows that it's empty. Because it's not the one thing that he really wants. Which is what God promised him. Which is that he was going to live with God in the land. With his children and his children's children and his children's children's children. Right? That's what he wanted. That's what he wanted. And so even though he wasn't mature, he was a real believer. And so through the through failure of trying to live by sight and then that failing and it not leading to what God had promised him, he's learning now how to, how to live in the rhythms of God. That's kind of one of the ways I think about it. Living in God's rhythm. There's a certain rhythm to walking with God. Have you ever noticed that? A rhythm to it. Uh, it's not the same as the rhythm of walking by sight. Uh, the rhythm of walking with God is dependence, Waiting, dependence, waiting, receiving, losing, dependence, waiting, receiving, losing, dependence. You know, it, that's more the cycle and the rhythm of walking with God, not um, scheme, strike it rich, scheme again, strike it more rich, scheme again, strike, you know. It, it's very different. And Abraham is learning that quiet, kind of unassuming, unseen rhythm of, of what it looks like to walk with God. We'll see more about that in a minute when it comes to worship. But at this point, notice, it involves self-denial. And it will for you and I as well. Uh, Jesus said, if you seek first the kingdom of God, everything will be added to you. Don't worry. Seek me. Seek the kingdom. Let that be the one thing that you go after. Uh, Jesus says, you will do this if you know I did it for you. Um, he said to, to Simon the Pharisee, the one who loves much, or the one who's forgiven much, loves much. And so when you know how much God has forgiven you and what he's done through Jesus to save you from your sins, man, of course, you'll be willing to deny yourself. But if you don't know that in your heart, you won't be all that willing to deny yourself. And so Abraham is growing as he tastes the grace of God in his life through failure. He's growing in walking according to God's rhythm. It's an amazing thing. Now let's look at the third thing tonight. The communion of true worship. Not only is he denying himself, and not only does he actually end up making peace with Lot, which we should probably stop for a second and just marvel at that. Um, peace does happen between Lot and Abraham. The strife does end. Uh, which, by the way, is a great kind of sub-point, sidebar lesson of sometimes um, the way to peace is separation. You know, I mean, that's just something to consider. 
Um, sometimes we maybe have an over-idealized view of life in this world. We, at least I do. I speak for myself. I think I can fix any relationship. I just have that sort of in me, that kind of a optimist, uh, idealistic kind of heart where I think I can make anyone like me. And I can like any, you know, that's not always true. Sometimes you just got to agree to disagree and move on. And there's peace in that if you do it the right way, if you do it through faith. Now, you know, you can do it in a wrong way. Separation can happen in a very wrong way, in a sinful way. But separation isn't always sinful. Uh, and and I, I was encouraged by that as I looked at this this week. Anyway, that's just a side point. But peace happens through the work of God in Abraham's life as he denies himself. But notice, Abraham also continues to be an avid worshiper of God. So that, you know, okay, so think about this. If you have a pattern of self-denial in your life, how's that going to feel? Give me some words. If you're laying down your life all the time at work for the sake of others, if you're laying down your life at home for the sake of others, if you're laying down your life at church for the sake of others, how's that feel? (sighs) Tired. Depleting. Drained. Any other thoughts? Self-pity. Oh, that's a big one, right? And what's that? Ripped off. Yeah. And, and this is where, and, and this is such a good lesson right here, because as you start to learn how to deny yourself for others and for God, one of the things that happens is in the backlash of self-denial, the empire strikes back. <laughs> like... Like the selfishness will strike back. You have to be aware of it. It will happen. Like you will feel self-pity and you will probably give yourself a pass on things that you never should because, oh, well, I've just loved people so well and so I deserve this or that or the other. And it's never true that you deserve this, that, or the other. But, but we believe it because of the empire strikes back thing. Um, you know, e- even Jesus, you know, he didn't have a sinful nature. We're all agreed on that. No sin in Jesus, no way he could have sinned because he was perfect, he was God. However, which is amazing, we should stop and worship, but we'll move on right quick. We'll worship in a minute. Um, No sin, and yet when Jesus served other people, he also got depleted, tired, hungry, lonely, and what did he do? prayed, went away, prayed, hid himself to pray. Why do you think he did that? Mm-hmm. So he could give more? Why else? Recharge his batteries? Also, like we talked about this morning, he knew Satan's schemes. He understood the Empire Strikes Back effect. Right? Anytime love is being shown, anytime God is being honored, there's Satan to come in with a little side swipe. Jesus knew this, knew it very well. He'd been tangling with Satan from the beginning, from days of old. He knew it. And so he absented absented himself, however you say that, took himself out of the situation (laughs) and sought his father and prayed and recharged his heart. Um, we have to learn how to do that. And so that's why I bring up worship here. This is what Abraham does. Everywhere he goes, 
Abraham is worshiping God. Not only is he worshiping God, he's encouraging other people to worship God. And he's doing it in public. Okay, look, you say, I don't believe you. Okay, well, let's look. Uh, maybe you didn't say that, but I'm going to pretend like you did. Um, because this is my last point, and so I have to pretend like you at least are thinking about it. Uh, in verse 4, look at what it says. Uh, Abraham went back into the land, and immediately, where does he go? The place where he had built the altar. Now, remember, we've already talked about this. What's the significance of building altars back then? Worship. Uh, why build an altar? Why not just worship? Yeah. Yeah, it is a literal place, literally in stone, sitting in a certain location. You could put the GPS coordinates on it. It's really there. It's not just in Abraham's head. It's not just in his heart. It's, in, it's on the map, the place where Abraham worships his God. Uh, the place where he can say, go ahead, Alex. That's right. Atonement for sin, animals being offered, things were, money was being spent, money, you know, livestock and silver and gold and all things were being spent for that. I mean, it, as David said, I will offer God nothing that costs me nothing. Remember? I want to offer God anything that costs me nothing. I'm going to offer God something that hurts. Because he's worth it. And so Abraham sets this pattern. He worships God in a way that's costly, in a way that's public. He can say to all his employees, to all his family, to anybody around, hey, meet me at the altar. And we're going to go worship God. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. More than likely the case. More than likely the case that Abraham was seen that way and that many people probably looked to Abraham for guidance and showed up at that altar at that place where he said they were going to be and they learned how to worship the Lord in that same way. Um, Abraham was an altar-building man. And I believe every Christian ought to be an altar-building man or woman. Uh, we don't need physical altars today because we have an altar in heaven. There's only one altar, the one that Jesus Christ himself administers as the great high priest, sprinkling his blood, which speaks a better word than the blood of bulls and goats, etc., etc. We don't have time to get into all that. But what we do need is real life in time and in space worship in our lives if we're going to be true, self-denying people of faith. Um, it, otherwise, the empire will strike back and win. If even Jesus needed to be an altar-building man in his own personal life, do you think you do? And so look at what Abraham does. Um, after, you know, the look at verses 14 to 18. I love this. This is beautiful, by the way. Uh, the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had separated from him, Now you lift up your eyes and you see. 
Remember what Lot did? He lifted up his eyes and he saw. Uh, and what he saw was beautiful land. He, what he didn't see was those people are wicked down there. And when I go down there, I'm going to get mixed up in all kinds of wickedness. And it's going to mess my life up and Abraham's life up and everything's going to be upended. My wife's going to die and turn into a pillar of salt because I'm going down there with those wicked people. He didn't see that part. But he lifted up his eyes and saw what he wanted to see. Here, God says to Abraham, you lift up your eyes and you see now what I'm going to show you. And then what does God say? Look north, look south, look east, look west, the whole land, all of it, every bit of it, I'm going to give to you and to your offspring forever. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. If somebody could count the particles of dust on the earth, then they could count your offspring. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Arise and walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. And then what does Abraham do? God says, arise and walk around. Just look at what I've given you. What does Abraham do? Abraham moved his tent, came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which is at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. He worshipped. He made a way for other people to worship. He encouraged worship. He didn't hinder anyone from worshiping. Mm. Have you denied yourself lately? Have you felt so depleted at any point lately in following Jesus that you just couldn't wait to get to the altar? When you got to the altar, wasn't it good how he met you there? Wasn't that good? The God of Abraham is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the God and Father of us. <laughs> Same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Walking with him today is just like it was then. Watch out for strife. Deny yourself because Jesus did for you. Worship the Lord. Fill your heart 